0: 1 John chapter 3. First of all, before we get into the study tonight, it's good to be back with you. Um, I heard that there was a guy that showed up to speak here on Sunday that looked a little bit like me, Uh, but uh, I I will be sharing a little bit uh, more on, on Sunday, but I did want to share a few things uh, with you folks here tonight about the weekend. Um, First of all, uh, the weekend would not have been possible had it not been for the generosity of all of you. Not just with the food and the things that you brought these last couple weeks, but just you know, for me to stand in the building where now it has a roof and, and whatnot um, was just a really moving experience. Um, but this weekend also would not have been possible. Uh, and I'm going to recognize these folks again on Sunday without uh, without Nathan Lamberth, without Miguel and Nelly Martinez, and without George Herrera. And uh, I really appreciate them uh, being willing to... En- you know, take their whole weekend and, and go down. I think if you talk to any of them though they 'll tell you we had a blast we We really had a great time and uh, I just want to personally thank thank George because without George, i couldn't do down there what I do because uh, nobody would understand me <laughs> and George just does a great job i mean just a phenomenal job interpreting um I don't want to take too much time tonight, but um, I will just tell you: for me personally, this weekend was a life-changing experience for me. Um, to stand in that in that church that we helped. Put a roof on and make these improvements to was a little, a little overwhelming. Um, and not to get into all the details, but obviously you guys loaded us up with all this food and stuff. Well, when we crossed the border and and got to the church, obviously we just couldn't give like one family like you know five pounds of beans and this and that. So, Carmelita, Pastor Miguel's wife her and some other leaders of the church, they, I I don't know how they did it, but they just divided this all up to where every family got like an equal amount of everything and put it in just a bag for the family. And just to give you a little background, um, Mexicali is a city of a million and a half people. It's a big city. But outside of Mexicali, there's obviously these little, what I call hamlets, And Pastor Miguel's church is probably about 30 minutes outside of the city proper of Mexicali. So it's in a rural area, it's in farm country, and all the people that come to his church are, you know, um, poor, Um, they don't have a lot. if you saw the homes that they lived in, I think it would affect you. Um, so, Saturday night, um, after the service was over, uh, Pastor Miguel invited all of the families to go out and to, to take a bag of, of food and, and the supplies that you, know, you all here at the Oasis had, had given to them. And um, what really moved me, and I was so, I'm so glad that he did this, though, in one sense, though I was a mess that he did, um, is he had everyone from the Oasis, all of us come, come up front, and he asked every one of the people there that night to basically make a line and come up and just, you know, thank us. And uh, just to see the faces of those people and how appreciative they were for the little that we did for them and just to, you know, to share their appreciation for what we've done as far as the roof and all that goes, to be able for me to look in their eyes. It was just an incredible experience. To see the little children and the moms and dads and grandparents and it was just really, really moving. And one of the cool things that we heard even as we were traveling out to the church is Pastor Miguel got a, a phone call from one of the leaders at the church. And he said there's already like 50 or 60 visitors here tonight at the church just waiting for us to get there. And uh, it was just a great crowd of people on Saturday, Saturday night. Um, so, and that's how the weekend got started. Um, after the message, um, Pastor Miguel basically gave an, an altar call. And uh, I bet there was 50 people that came forward that night uh, on, on Saturday night. And uh, God, was, God was moving. And God was moving all weekend. Uh, Both, I think, in those of us who went from the Oasis um, and in the people there in Mexicali. um, God is doing something there and he's using us (laughs) to be part of that. And uh, I was very impressed by God this weekend of a couple verses from the book of Acts where I think you'll recall these with me. The apostles are really turning the world upside down. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, are trying to to stifle it and to put it down and stop it. And Gamaliel, this very respected teacher of the Pharisees, stands up and says, guys, we need to leave them alone. Because if this plan or this work is of man it will come to nothing on its own but if it is from god it cannot be stopped and and i really feel like god is doing something in mexicali that cannot be stopped it is of god and god is the only explanation for it And so, this partnership and uh, all of that is just beginning, Um, and I can't wait to go back um, and speak again. In fact, I'll just share this and then move on. By the end of the weekend, I was already getting invitations from other pastors to come and speak at their churches. Um, So, just know God is at work. One other thing, though, and this is more of a prayer request than sharing something necessarily from the weekend. Um, Some of you, when they have been up here before, have met uh, Pastor Miguel and Carmelita's middle son, Omar. 22-year-old young man. Um, Again, I won't go into all the details, but he's actually running for political office in that region, and uh, he's running not as one of the two powerful political parties, sort of like we have in our country. He and some others are running independently on, like, basically a Christian ticket and Christian platform. And one of their primary goals is to root out and get rid of all the political corruption in, in Mexico. There, in that region, at least to start there. And I bring him up not only for us to begin to pray that God would maybe open this up that that Omar could get elected which would be quite a working of God. But on Sunday I was really moved in that it just so happened to work out that Pastor Miguel and I were in his truck just the two of us and he turned to me And he said, would you please pray for my son's protection? Because of what he's doing, there are those that don't like it. And I can only imagine, as a father, if my son was in that position, how I would feel. I'd be incredibly proud, (laughs) but I'd also be incredibly concerned for my own son's welfare, because he really is putting himself out there. Um... So just, I ask that you would pray for Omar Olachea and for for his protection during this campaign. I think the election, what did they say? June June 6th is the election down there uh, in Mexicali. So we'll certainly let you know. And and if any of you keep up with that, you can follow uh, all of that information on his Facebook page uh, that they have out there about that. And I'll share more uh, this Sunday as well. But uh, just know your pastor's not the same guy that I was when I left. Um, it was just an incredible, incredible weekend. And uh, just have we have good friends there in Mexicali. First John chapter three. Verse 4 tonight. Um, Last week, we talked there in the first three verses of 1 John chapter 3 about the fact that if we have hope, if we have confidence and are sure that one day we are going to stand in the presence of Jesus, that we are going to see Jesus, then John says, Shouldn't it be our natural reaction that we fully devote ourselves to Jesus and that we cleanse ourselves, that we get rid of all the contamination and pollution in our lives and we really get rid of anything that dilutes our devotion to Christ and that we really consecrate ourselves to Jesus and to His cause? And now, in verse 4, he wants to talk to us about sin. And the reason now John wants to really focus on the subject of sin is because if there's anything that is not going to prepare us to meet Jesus, if there's anything that breaks our fellowship and affects our relationship with God, it is sin, And John is trying to get all Christians to see tonight sin the way God sees sin. In fact, I think that's one of the things that happens to a Christian when we truly enter into fellowship with God and we get closer to God is we begin to see sin the way God sees sin. In fact, I'll follow up on something my son said Sunday about this very thing in his message we come to a conclusion in our life that sin is stupid. That sin really is destructive. That, that sin is not something we would want to choose, you see. That in a sense, we build up a, 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 an aversion to sin because we understand how destructive it is to us and how destructive it is to others because none of us, if we do sin, sin's in a vacuum. Our sin always affects those around us. We go back to the Garden of Eden. What Eve chose to do affected her husband. Instead of her being the helper or helpmate that God created her to be for Adam, she was actually part of his downfall by offering him the fruit. And we see the destructive consequences of both of their sin and that it didn't take long to see their own family unraveling because of sin and how painful it would be when one of their own sons murdered their other son. And so this is what John's trying to get us to see. If we truly hated sin the way God did, If we had that kind of mindset, that kind of perspective, if we realized that that sin keeps us from being close to God, it it breaks our fellowship with God, then maybe our lives would look a little different simply because everything starts in our mind. Sin starts in our mind and righteousness starts in our mind. So if we have that kind of mindset, maybe we can go off on more of of a righteous path than a sinful path. So that's why John says in 1 John three four, everyone or anyone. It's not. I'm, I'm talking to anyone who's a Christian here. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Now let's stop there for a minute. John is reminding us here by using the words "practices sin" that it really that, that a person really can. Practice sin. Just as he's going to say in verse 7, in a few verses, if we get there tonight, that you and I can even practice righteousness. And the word practice simply means what we spend the majority of our time and energy and effort doing in a day. And to flip this a little bit, to encourage us, if one can become proficient in sin... By practicing it. In other words, a person can become a good sinner, if you will. Why? Because they practice sin. Then the opposite is also true. You and I can be very proficient in righteousness by practicing righteousness. Which simply means, what are, what is our time and energy and effort spent doing? What are we practicing? And again, we need to be practicing righteousness. Because the more you and I practice something, again, the better we get at it. The more proficient we get at it. And God does not want to see His people practicing sin. He wants us to be practicing righteousness. And then John equates sin with lawlessness. And, And John is simply saying, if one is sinning, then that means that we really have a disregard for the law of God. For God's standard of living. And if we have a disregard for the law or God's standard of living, then that also means we also have a disregard for the lawmaker or the one behind the law, God Himself. And what John is also reminding us of as of Christians is this. Even though we live in the age of grace, we do not live under the law. That does not mean that as a Christian, I should be a lawless person. The law, if you will, the moral standards of God still should apply to us. And that's something I think that we need to remember because so often you hear Christians today in the New Testament age talk so much about grace, and that's great, but it's not grace at the expense of no law. God expects His people, even in the age of grace, to obey His moral standards. You see. We should not be lawless people. There should be a code of conduct that you and I follow. In fact, one of the characteristics of the last days is lawlessness in fact the antichrist one of his nicknames is called the man of lawlessness the man who disregards law and you even think about that even today even not in the spiritual realm think about it even in the secular realm do we not live today in an age of lawlessness that even if there are laws on the books, nobody abides by them. Even our leaders don't abide by the rules or laws. They do whatever they want to do, which then tells people, well, I can do whatever I want to do. There's no, no law, which obviously we understand that if a society gets to that point and it goes out to its fur- furthest degree... It's just anarchy. It's just, it's back to the book of Judges. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes and pretty soon, again, society disintegrates as we see happening today. Why? Because there's lawlessness. In fact, I was scratching my head even this afternoon because I was watching a little bit of the news and there was this push to try to get people to be you know, to adhere to law. And yet, we're living in a society that doesn't even accept most of the time or um, recognize law. It's this weird place that we're in in history. And that's what John's trying to get us to see. That when you and I sin, and, and... Sin, I'll describe it as a couple things. One, it's putting ourselves in the place of God. That's what sin really is. Again, going back to Genesis, to where it all began. When, When Eve listened to the serpent and took the fruit, what she was really doing was putting herself in the place of God. Saying, yeah, I know that's what God said, but I know better than God. Because in a sense, that's what Satan did, Lucifer, when he fell, as one of God's great creations. He basically said, yeah, God, that's, that's your way, that's what you want, but I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do my own thing. I want to be God. I want to call the shots. I don't want to follow you. I want to be the leader." And so Lucifer put himself in the place of God, thinking he knows better than God. And that's really what all sin can be traced back to. Anytime you and I sin, because the Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Anytime you and I sin, what we're really doing is we're really saying to God, God, I know better than you. Because here's what you said to do or not to do, but I know better. And we put ourselves basically then in the place of God, you see. That's why a long time ago, one of my early Bible teachers said, Jeff, one of the things you can always, you know, sort of summarize sin with is is going back to self because right in the middle of the word sin is the letter I. And it's always about me. It's always about self when it comes to sin. And that goes back to what John says here. That all sin is lawlessness. You see. So, think about this from a positive standpoint. If you and I are living a life of worship, and we are growing in our reverence and respect for God, then we will not want to be lawless, Because again, to be lawless is to disregard not only the law or the the standard of God that God gives to live by, but it's also disregarding Him. And if I truly have reverence and respect for God, I will not want to disrespect Him by just blowing off His law and His standards and His code of conduct and living life the way I want to. So then John goes on to say this. And you know. And the word know here means that every Christian would be aware of this because this is something that the Holy Spirit teaches us. And the Word of God does as well. You know that Jesus was revealed to take away sins. Now notice too that the word sins isn't singular. We'll see that in a moment. It's plural here, meaning each and every sin. And John is saying, look, Jesus, the purpose for His incarnation and coming here wasn't just to teach a bunch of principles and to to heal people and whatever. Primarily, He came on this earth so that He could take away sins. Our sins. The words mean to remove. It also, though, means to sort of lift, lift up and, and and take away, if you will. So a lot here, but I, I want to get to it tonight because it's really important stuff. By using this terminology, John is going beyond the fact that take away equals just forgiveness. It goes way beyond forgiveness. Yes, it. it in some ways incorporates forgiveness, but it goes way beyond that. The terms here remind us that from a biblical perspective, sin is this weight, it's a burden. And that's what the Bible teaches, that you and I can choose to sin because God gives us a free will, but when we choose to sin, and especially live a life of sin, it becomes this burdensome weight on our back, in our being, if you will. And John is saying that one of the things that Jesus wants to do with people is to lift this burden. And it's, it's even more than the burden of guilt and, and shame. It's, it's the whole ball of wax of what sin does in that it just, it just destroys us, if you will. And that Jesus came to lift up and, and take off that burden of sin and get rid of it in our lives. And it's again, it's more than just casting our sin into the depths of the sea and separating our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's all part of it. But it's the idea that Jesus came to break the power of sin in our life so that we don't have this unbelievable burden of sin weighing us down all the time. He literally came to lift that burden off. That's why Jesus said to His followers in Matthew 11, Come to Me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy to bear. My load is light to carry. Whatever I lay on you, as far as responsibility, it won't be something like sin that burdens you and weighs you down. Because I came to take away that sin. And John the Baptist even said when he saw Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus wants to lift that burden of sin, that weight that sin can become off of our backs. Because Jesus wants us to be free free. Jesus came to set us free. And the only way we can be free is to live a life of victory over sin, to let Jesus deliver us from sin. And not just the penalty of sin when we become a Christian, but the power of sin. Jesus came to deliver us from the power of sin, which is really what the whole chapter of Romans 6 and Paul talks about to the Romans, how we don't have to to yield to sin any longer. Sin doesn't have to be a, a master of us anymore. We have now Jesus Christ and we have the Holy Spirit and, and we can say no to sin. We don't have to yield to sin any longer. You see. And that's what John is saying too. Because there would be a person that might say, well, you know, but I I, I can't help it. I just, I can't help but sin. John would say, oh No. Jesus came to take away our sin. Yes, as Christians, we won't be perfect. You know, we're going to commit acts of sin. But none of us who are truly children of God should allow sin to become a lifestyle to the point where it literally is this burden that breaks us down and wears us down. Because the very purpose of Jesus' coming was to take away our sin. That's the message we need to get out. Because there are so many people today who are weighed down by sin. And that's the gospel. And that's even something that you and I as Christians need to be reminded of. I don't need to walk around with the weight that God never intended for me to carry. I, I realize God came to take away this. To lift it up off of me and raise it up and get rid of it. So that I can, you know, be free. And then he says this. You know not only that Jesus was revealed to take away sins, but in Him there is no sin. Singular. Because John now is basically affirming the sinlessness of Jesus and saying, unlike us who have, you know, problems with sins, multiple There isn't even in Jesus' nature or character the capacity to sin. It's not even there. Which is why He is such a great help to sinners. Because other sinners can't help other sinners with the real problem of sin. That's why Jesus came. Because He who knew no sin can help those of us who are sinners. Because He doesn't have sin of himself to deal with. He is completely pure from the inside out. Totally sinless. Totally pure. Therefore, he has the absolute ability and capacity to help other sinners, you see. This is why in the book of Hebrews, the author talks about the fact that, yes, the priesthood in the Old Testament was sort of a a picture of, looking ahead to to the priesthood of Christ, but, but one of the reasons why Christ's priesthood supersedes the Old Testament priesthood and is so far better is because the Old Testament priests had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. They weren't sinless. But Jesus came. And when He came, it wasn't for His own sins that He offered sacrifice. It was simply for our sins that He offered sacrifice. For in him there is no sin. So then John goes on in verse 6 to say, Again, everyone or anyone who resides in him does not sin. Now folks, this phrase, not just this verse, this phrase in 1 John 3, 6 is one of the most debated verses, even amongst biblical scholars, of how to properly interpret it. I'm going to share with you my interpretation tonight, but I would encourage you to study it out for yourself. Because even the Greek language can be taken a couple different ways here. I'll share with you how I think it should be taken. I think he's saying here, something that you and I think, again, as Christians, we need to come to grips with, and that is this. If I truly am living in partnership with Jesus Christ, if Jesus is my partner, if if, if if we're residing, and again, that's a word that just John has used throughout, speaking about fellowship, close connection, all of that, arm in arm with Jesus. Look at it that way. If I'm doing something, arm in arm with Jesus, then John is declaring an unbelievable truth here. He's saying that... It, At at that time, you and I can't sin. Now again, your pastor's not teaching that Christians can be sinless. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? Because we know that that would contradict other scriptures. Scriptures in 1 John that we've already studied. But John, I think, is giving, again, a powerful motivation and argument for why Christians should abide in Christ and remain in Christ and have Christ as our partner throughout our day. Because John is saying this, and if you notice the context here, I think it fits, and that's why I have landed on this interpretation. If in Him, Jesus, there is no sin, meaning Jesus does not have the capacity to sin, then if you and I are partnering with Jesus at this particular moment, is Jesus going to be partners in sinful activity? Is is Jesus going to somehow, as we live with him in this way is he going to enable us to sin no because john would say he can't do that so john i think is saying here look christian as long as you are residing in christ and you are partnering with him then you can't sin because jesus can't be part of sinning it's not even in his character or nature So I think what this does mean, then, is when do you and I sin? When we're not partnering with Jesus. When we're basically saying, Jesus, I I got this. I I can do this without you. That's when we sin. So when you think about that, that even again begins to open up our eyes, even as Christians, to how often do we live our lives each day not really partnering arm-in-arm with Jesus Christ? Because at that moment we sin in thought, word, or deed, we really don't have Jesus as our partner at that particular moment. Because if we were living in the power of Jesus Christ, the one who came to take away our sin, to deliver us from the power of sin, to remove it, to lift it off of us, then there's no way we could sin at that moment that you... that that we and Jesus are doing something together. It's only when you and I are doing something apart from Jesus that we fall into sin. And then John goes on to say, and everyone who sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now here the word sins, the second word, speaks about a habitual lifestyle of sin, continuing to sin, and John is saying, "If someone, if anyone, continues to live a habitual lifestyle of sin, they they really they really don't perceive or understand who Jesus is and what He came to do. They they really don't understand who He is, and they really don't understand the mission that Jesus came to Earth to do. Because Jesus came." To take away our sin. To break the power of sin. To deprive the sinful flesh of the force and the grip that it once had on us. You see, we we don't need to go down that road anymore as a believer in Jesus Christ. So when you think again about this very important phrase in 1 John 3, don't just think of taking away our sin as equal to just simply forgiveness. It means so much more than that. You see, forgiveness is part of it, but it more talks about the breaking of power and the removing of the burden that sin can be if we continue to sin and live our lives apart from God one again who truly understands Jesus, who who clearly discerns and perceives Jesus, would not continue to sin because we would understand why He came, what His mission was, and the fact that you and I have, through Jesus, the capacity not to let sin have a grip on us, but to let God and His righteousness have a grip on us. Let's, Let's look at one more verse tonight. By the way, before I look at verse 7. So next so this week was a lot about the purpose and the mission of Jesus was to take away sins. Notice next week where we're going to concentrate. Next week we're going to concentrate on this, verse 8 of chapter 3. For this purpose the son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. John is just laying it out there. Here's why Jesus came. He came to take away sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil. All of this in the context of sin. You see. But John now says in verse 7 of 1 John 3, little children, again, speaking about those deeply loved, those students in training, let no one deceive you. Let no one lead you away from the truth into error. Let no one begin to have you wander and just roam. There's a clarity here that John wants us to see. Because John is, again, a pretty black and white person. And John says this, the one who practices righteousness, the one who spends the majority of our time doing what God approves and what has been affirmed by God is righteous. Now again, John is not teaching work salvation. He's not saying, if we practice righteousness, that means I earn righteousness. That's not what he's saying. Notice the words. He's saying, though, if one has the ability to practice righteousness, which means it's something that we do on a regular basis, he's saying then that reveals who they really are. Because one cannot practice righteousness without the aid of the Holy Spirit, one can't consistently over a long period of time have a lifestyle of righteousness unless one is being supernaturally empowered by the God of righteousness. So that then reveals or manifests what our real condition is, you see. A person who is not truly righteous, can do a good work every once in a while, or something that's right, but only those who are righteous can practice righteousness. Because again, the word practice speaks about what is predominantly seen in a person's life. And then he uses this. He says, the one who practices righteousness is righteous just as Jesus. This one, Jesus, is righteous. And again, to be righteous not only speaks about what God approves and what God affirms, the word is also a word that speaks about one who conforms to the standards of God. That's what righteous means that I am conforming my life to God's standard rather than my standard or someone else's standard or the world's standard. And you even get this supported by, say, Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're being conformed to something. You and I are either being conformed to the world and to the world's standards, or we are allowing God to conform us to His standards, which is what righteousness is. By the way, one other thing that righteous means, and I love this, it it speaks about being what one ought to be. As one intended. And again, I'll just circle back around once again to to even a, a little bit of my son's message on Sunday and even going back to the Garden of Eden. Is that God had a plan and purpose that, that when he created Adam and Eve and any human beings, that, that they would live and, and, and behave as they ought to. And obviously when sin entered in, then man has a problem. Man without God now can't live as we ought to, which is why Jesus came. To take away sin, not just to forgive it, but to take away and to break its power so that we could begin even now on earth, before we get to heaven, before we get those glorified bodies, that you and I even now can begin to live as we ought to be. See, it can be recaptured, but only through a relationship with God. Only through fellowship with God only through living in conformity to the standards of God. And this is why John, at this point, is so motivated and inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, because he'd been talking so much about the importance of fellowship, but now he's got to talk about a subject that's not talked about too much in in churches today. And even amongst Christians today. And it's the subject of sin. And John is simply saying to all of us, if we had the perspective on sin that God had, which we can begin to develop if we live in fellowship with Him, then we'll start to see changes in our life. Because we'll start to have a growing reverence and respect not only for the law of God, if you will, the the moral standards of God that He gives us in His Word to live by, but we'll also have a growing reverence and respect for God Himself, the lawgiver, And out of that, we will not want to live in a disrespectful way. Doing our own thing, thinking we know more than God, putting ourselves in the place of God. We will choose, through the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, to live under God's law and under God's standards. Because we know sin is bad, sin is stupid, sin is destructive. Sin will not only negatively affect us, it will affect others as well. And we don't want that. One other thing. I know I'm running over. Remember too that John, and we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, says that the ultimate command of Jesus and of God was to love God and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we have to remember too that when we sin, really at the heart of it, That's not showing love for others. Because again, we understand our sin then negatively affects our relationship with God and others. And if we really love, then we would never choose to do that. Out of love for God and for each other. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this great reminder tonight from your Apostle John. God, we pray that maybe out of even tonight, these few verses we looked at, that God, we might have a a different perspective on sin. That we might once again, Lord, see sin from Your perspective. And that God, we might really understand tonight that Jesus came to take away our sin. To break its power in our life. To enable us to live like Him, as righteous, being able to to conform our lives to the standards that God has given through the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, go with us tonight. Help us to to begin and, and to continue practicing righteousness. To become very proficient and skilled in righteousness, never in sin. Keep us far away from sin, God. Help help us to to not allow sin not only to become entrenched in our own lives in some way, but to to not be a part of our church and and our fellowship here as well. Because we know, God, that the Bible teaches that a little sin can can destroy so much. That one sinner can destroy much good. That a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so God, help us to look at it from your perspective. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.